Welcome to Mommy Brain Revisited, the neuroscience of parenting. I'm your host, Dr. Jody Paluski. So today it's really great to have Dr. Oliver Bosch here talking to us about his research. He's a professor in the Faculty of Biology and Preclinical Medicine at the University of Regensburg in Germany. Welcome, Oliver. Hi, Jody. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, it's great to have you. Oliver has been doing years of research on maternal brain and focusing on the corticotrophin releasing factor, CRF, and maternal neglect, uh, and among other things, and some recent work on partner loss, which I also find fascinating. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about that, about your work on an animal model of single motherhood, essentially, and how it affects the mom. And this is such an interesting topic, and I think you're the only one who's done research on it, aren't you? Uh, no, there is uh, also a study by Wendy Saltzman. Um, okay. She did recently one um, in the California mice. Um, okay. uh, but it's a different, a slightly different uh, model that she used. So uh, compared to ours, um, so the model that we used is the model of the, yeah, now probably all famous um, Prairie Vole uh, model that is very well known to study how a pair bond actually forms and what is going on in the brain when you, when you meet a partner to make you actually yeah, stay with the partner. The Prairie Voles are a very, very interesting model to, to study um, this parenthood because they are one of the of the rare examples uh, that show biparental care, and uh, that's actually how I got into uh, studying how a separation from a partner affects the brain, and like my last study uh, shows, also affects uh, the maternal brain. Yeah, and before we get into this study, maybe you can tell us a little bit about why you're interested in studying the maternal brain and behavior. Well, there are there are two stories to that. So the story one is um, a very very straightforward one. After I finished my PhD, which I did on on mosquitoes, I was looking for a postdoc, uh, and luckily I, I got a, a job offer by Professor Inger Neumann, who was at that time studying the role of uh, oxytocin and vasopressin in maternal aggressive behavior. So this is the one story how I got into it, just by choosing a position. Um, the other story is the one where I have to say that I was always fascinated by brains that are very adaptive, so, so brains that can adapt to, to certain situations. And, and the maternal brain is, I think, the most fascinating one in, in this um, line, because um, if you imagine, especially in a rodent, a rodent is pregnant for what, three weeks? And within three weeks, you have all those changes in the brain um, that, that transforms the brain from a virgin uh, brain that is not so much into taking care of offspring into a maternal brain where, where the, the, the mother actually approaches uh, offspring, licks offspring, nurses offspring, even fights 
against intruders to defend the offspring. I mean, how, how amazing is this? So all these changes in the brain, this is what, what is, is really, or what really caught my attention uh, from the beginning on. And, and that's the reason why I, I, I didn't move away from, from this uh, line of research since I started in 2001. Yeah, because it is really fascinating, isn't it? Oh, it's it's amazing. It's just amazing. If you think of all the adaptation of all the changes, um, I mean, you have the, the hormones in the periphery that affect the brain, that affect receptors in the brain to prime the brain for for all the 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 things the, the mother has to to be aware of when she's a mother. I mean, it's just to me it's still a, like a mystery that there is you have a rat in the lab the rat gets pregnant the rat has no idea what's going on with her body of course also not what's going on with the brain but at one point uh, she feels pain in the abdomen and then a pup pops out and without knowing probably not knowing what a pup is she starts to take care of the pup she licks the pup. She 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 nurses the pup. Uh, so so all of this comes from from signals from the brain that that drive this this maternal this motherhood, um, and and this is just this is just amazing. Yeah, like it's amazing because there's this stuff just starts to happen, and they start to learn. I think as a mother, okay, that was a good thing to do, but there's a there's definitely all these these priming mechanisms to really care for something they've maybe never seen before. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's just cool. Mothers and mother mother brains are something pretty cool. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) So one thing you one area or system in the brain that you spend a lot of time studying is the CRF system, so this corticotrophin releasing factor, and maybe because we'll talk about that in a little bit with regards to this this research, but you can maybe you can tell us a little bit about CRF. Oh yeah, so so CRF um, um, or others might call it CRH for corticotropin releasing hormone. Um, so it's both the same. So this is most well known uh, to be a driving factor for the stress axis. So whenever you experience uh, stress the release of this CRF into the periphery increases, uh, which then triggers the stress response in the periphery, ending up that your adrenals release a lot of, well, in humans, cortisol, and in our animals, uh, corticosterone. So this is, this is the best known role of, of CRF. But CRF is also released within the brain in, in different brain areas when it comes to stress and acts as um, yeah, a neuropeptide, uh, as a neuromodulator in the brain. And um, it's not always good when this uh, CRF or uh, other uh, parts of the CRF system are involved. So um, the CRF system is quite more complex than just one ligand and one receptor in the brain. But you have uh, four different ligands in this, in this stress system that can be released uh, depending on where in the brain uh, you look at. So you have CRF itself, you have Eurocortin 1, Eurocortin 2, and Eurocortin 3. So these are the four ligands. 
On the other side, you have two different receptors, CRF receptor type 1 and type 2. And depending on the ligand and depending on the receptor, you can see different results in the different brain areas. This is what makes it a bit complicated. And to make it even more complicated, um, you even have something that is called the CRF binding protein. Uh, and this is a factor that is present in the brain to, well, catch the free CRF and make it no longer available to bind to its receptor. So this is like another regulatory factor that you find in the brain. And all of this plays together. It's not only that this makes it interesting, it's also that it makes it a bit complicated. But also, of course, since so many factors are involved, there are many ways to, to get around it or also to buffer the system. And so maybe just give us a little bit of a brief rundown of this system in pregnancy and postpartum in general in moms. So in order to, to become a mother, you have to prime the brain to approach pups. And here it's very important that this CRF system is downregulated so that the signaling of the CRF system is not so strong because if it's, if it's too strong, the mother uh, actually avoids the pups and doesn't care for, for the pups anymore. So when you compare a brain of uh, a virgin uh, female with a brain of, of uh, a mother, uh, you see that there is really a reduced signaling, a reduced expression of this CRF system in the brain of the mother. Well, what happens if you increase now in a mother the activity of the CRF system? Everyone can imagine, I think. Uh, the more you, you activate the release of the ligand or the signaling of the receptors, the more you actually activate the avoidance of the pups, which might even result in neglect or, as has been shown in, in a very, very first study um, by Cord Peterson, uh, you might even uh, induce infanticide in the females. So... Now, this is related to the stress system, and well, I guess we should maybe move on to how this fits with this model you were looking at with the, the partner loss and parenting. Yeah, so it all started, maybe you want to know this before, yeah. uh, how it all started to study now prairie voles. Yeah, tell us. <laughs> tell me. Well, I it all started, know. as always in science, with the males. Uh, so initially we, were, initially, we were interested in, in what's going on in, in the brain of, of a male that loses the partner. And so we teamed up with Larry Young from the Emory University in Atlanta. Um, and, and we, well, it was a simple model. We just uh, had uh, male and female prairie voles, which are one of the few monogamous species um, uh, that, that we know from, from mammals. Um, so we, we had them uh, sitting together for five days. They formed the pair bond. They became a couple. And after five days, we just separated them. And then we studied the brain of the males and found that the males 
become depressed, they become anxious, because separation from the female partner uh, is some sort of chronic stress. So this chronic stress, of course, goes along with an increased signaling of the stress system, of the CRF system. Um, and that was all fine, and we studied the males again and again, and we came down to oxytocin and everything. And it was always the males. And, you know, for our studies, we always needed to have females as the partner that we take away from the male. And at one point we said, well, why don't we just continue with the females as well? Because something must go on in the brains of the females as well. So what we then did is we kept all of our control groups, meaning all of the males and female pairs that were still together, we kept them for 18 days together. Since we know that after 18 days, um, the females will not terminate the pregnancy anymore. So we were safe after 18 days. After these 18 days of having a female with a male sitting together, we were sure that the females uh, will be pregnant. And we took away the male just before the females gave birth. So we had, in the end, we had mothers where the male was taken away just before birth. So she had to give birth without the male partner. She had to raise the pups without the male partner. And also we had a group of females that were still with the partner. So there was for sure some kind of support from the male. And we compared these two groups and we didn't find any differences in the amount of maternal care uh, between the two groups. So it didn't matter if the male was gone or the male was still there. The mother always invested the same amount of time into caring for the pups. Um, and that's something we know also from, from birds, for example. So when there are biparental birds and um, the male wanders off, the female still gives the same amount of care. She does not compensate for the loss of care when the male is gone. So that was all fine. So she didn't change her behavior towards the pups. But then we tested her for her emotionality. And we do this in different specific tests. And one test was a test for anxiety, where we use a so-called elevated plasmase. So we just measure how much time she, uh, the, the female spends in protected areas versus in not so protected areas. And, and there we saw a difference because the single mothers, they were way more anxious than the mothers that were still with a partner. And then we continued to measure their passive stress coping. And passive stress coping you can measure, for example, in the forced swim test. So the more active an animal is, the, the less passive stress coping, which is reminiscent of depressive-like behavior, um, the female shows. And also there we found a big difference because the mother, the single mothers, they showed a lot of passive stress coping. So they were more depressed, let's say, than the mothers that were still with the male. So while we did not see an effect on the way she cared for her offspring, we saw a huge effect on, on the mother's emotionality when she was a single mother. And of course, we wanted to know if this somehow relates to the stress system, because 
we, we were so sure that a mother who is normally with the father, when she loses the father or the, the bonded partner, that she will be stressed. So we checked for this CRF system. And indeed, we find an upregulation of um, the CRF mRNA in the hypothalamus, where most of the CRF is normally produced. And from there, we said, well, if a single mother has more CRF in her brain and then is so emotional, can we just make her normal, let's say, again? So can we reverse the increased emotionality to a normal level by blocking this CRF system? Because this would then show us that not only is the separation from the partner the factor that increases this CRF system, but also that we can just reverse everything and normalize it. And in fact, that's what happened. So we could, we could rescue the emotionality. She behaved totally normal, normal in the test for anxiety. Um, the females also behave totally normal in the test for passive stress coping when we block the CRF system. And furthermore, which was totally not expected, we also could affect the amount of mothering that she showed. Because when we in, uh, injected this blocker for the CRF system, we had to take the female out and shortly restrain the female while we injected the substance. And this short restraint was just a, just a small stressor to the animal, just small enough to make a mother, well, being less focused on the pup when she returns to the cage. Uh, but when we block the stress system, she's immediately back on the pups as if she didn't experience a stress at all. And that was, that was quite surprising. And um, there was also the fact that the, the male partner that were still with the females. So during the time the female was taken out, the male partner was just uh, going to the pups, hovering over the pups and taking care of the pups. But as soon as the female came back, the male did not really care for the mother, but continued to care for the offspring. So a very nice example of by parental care, just of, of this shared care for the offspring. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's totally fascinating. And I mean, me working normally with, with rats and mice, where you where we have uh, uniparental care and, uh, you know, it's it's the mother or, or no one, um, seeing that you have this, this couple, you have a male, a male that is immediately going on the pups when the female is removed. Uh, the male taking so much care of the offspring. This is just, ah, it's it's just amazing. It's, it's fascinating, which now <laughs> I would like to study their brain too. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, going back to the, the, the single mom, it seems to me that there's two kind of circuits then that CRF plays on. Is that right? Like one 
we have it down regulated so that she cares maternally, but then another one when she loses her partner, it's maybe up regulated and she has increased anxiety or depression. That's exactly that what, what we think is going on. I mean, it, it really looks like you have this reduced signaling in all the brain areas that are really important for taking care of the offspring, like, for example, uh, the medial preoptic area or uh, the bed nucleus of the stereoterminalis or the paraventricular nucleus maybe also. And on the other side, you have increased release in those brain regions that are really important for emotionality. So there is like a dual mechanism that is more or less separate, but at one point they might interact and one might either inhibit or support uh, the other. But this is something we still need to investigate a bit more in detail. I mean, I think we're just at the, at the very beginning of something that might become very, very interesting to understand how, how the brain is affected by, by motherhood and um, this, this chronic stress of being separated from, from a partner. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the the, 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 the the partner itself, but just like a supporting figure, let's say. Um, uh, that's what I would like to believe, that um, as long as there is some sort of, of, of support in, in taking care of the offspring, there, there is not such a strong effect on the emotionality. Yeah, I was thinking about this has to do maybe with the support, a lack of support and not necessarily a monogamous partnership. So that would be really interesting to look at. Oh, absolutely. I mean, of course, in animal models, we cannot study all those details as much as we would like to do. But from all the things we know from from humans, how important it is to have support um, in during pregnancy or or when when you become a mother. I mean, the support can also come from the best friends or from the family. Um, as long as this happens, there is some sort of buffering against this. Yeah, this stressful event of uh, being without the partner or taking care of the offspring and everything that comes with it. I mean, um, our animal model, they are taken care of very well. They don't have to uh, worry about not getting enough food, not getting enough water, what to do with the bills. But humans have to deal with this. And I think this is something that uh, is very important in humans that um, at least there is some sort of, of support to, to lower the, the exposure to those kind of, of uh, risk factors. Yeah, definitely. Now, in the animal model, though, couldn't you add in, like, uh, another female, potentially? Like, do a best friend model? There's alloparenting often, right? At least in some rodents. Exactly. Yeah. This would be something that, that would be very cool to do. But So let's talk about the fathers then, because you, of course, mentioned it would be really interesting to look at the father's brains in terms of the, the monogamous parental care. But what if the father lost his partner completely? Well, when the father loses the partner completely, I mean... When we talk about a couple with, with, with pups, with offspring, well, the offspring 
would die. I mean, the yeah. father would still take care of the offspring, but the disadvantage, the, the maybe only disadvantage a father has is um, he can't produce milk. So he can't nurse uh, the pups. So eventually the pups will die. Well, how much this would affect a father, uh, that's something we don't know. Well, we know from just a, a pure male-female couple, when we take the female away, that the father is really, really affected by this. And um, it's, it's, it's a very, uh, very interesting, well, combination out of increased uh, signaling, again, of this CRF system. And this increased signaling of the CRF system totally suppresses the signaling of the oxytocin system. And the oxytocin system is the one uh, that, or one of the factors that is so important to form a pair bond, probably even to maintain a pair bond, um, and for the male and the female uh, to stay well, mentally healthy, emotionally healthy. But with the separation, CRF suppresses oxytocin, and this leads to increased emotionality, uh, feeling. Uh, really, really bad, and uh, well, yeah, this is this is one of the factors that I'm pretty sure would also also going on when you when you lose um, the partner during um, yeah such a stage as uh, lactation. Yeah, yeah, because I can imagine if it, to be separated from your children and your partner, then that's going to be an extra hit. To oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. your CRF system. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And I mean, you did some studies on, at least on mothers, um, let's say, losing their offspring, didn't you? Yeah, that's true. We, you know, we did this initially to control for the effects of pregnancy and birth. Yeah. But we found that these rat moms, you take the pups away and it was what 50 days later or more mm -hmm. so quite a long time in a rat life because the babies can be gone at 21 days yeah. of age uh, these moms that couldn't parent didn't have their offspring or had them taken away mm -hmm. they in fact couldn't perform memory tasks they had really poor mm -hmm. memory they had increased depressive like behavior uh, and this always i've come back to this over the past year and with the thoughts of studying this as a model of pregnancy loss uh -huh. and miscarriage of course yeah. so i think this is something that happens with lots of uh, uh women that we don't know enough about in terms of how it affects the brain but definitely there's an that loss of of offspring is quite significant but i don't know anyone who studied that in terms of oxytocin or CRF, particularly in kind of a pregnancy loss model. I, I don't think I know, know anyone. No, actually, this is what be very, very interesting to, to look into. I mean, um, I, I already downloaded your, your papers that you did uh, on that uh, because I'm, I'm very keen on, on oh, uh, looking a bit into this. <laughs> yeah, and I know there's, I think I have two other papers that have done something on that. I, I found so I three can... papers from you. Yeah, no, but there's two others, like Joe Lonstein has one, oh, okay, and I yeah. think Benedetta has one where it's a control group. I mm -hmm. can, I'll look. This is interesting because over the past year or so, I've been thinking more about pregnancy loss. Mm -hmm. I also have been thinking about it a little bit more in terms of like a, a therapy perspective, because how do we grieve the loss of a child in mm -hmm. our culture? So there's a lot of different components, of mm -hmm. course, mm -hmm. uh, in humans of how 
that process works and how to to manage that um, those emotions. But I'm also curious about what goes on in the brain. So if humans, but of course, rodent models, because we learn a lot from uh, from rodent models about the human brain. But because we talk about the transition to parenthood and how important it is for caring for our young and learning how to be maternal uh, and to some degree paternal as well, but not as much, many changes going on there. But then what happens when that baby's gone? So you've been pregnant and then you don't have a child and how does that affect your brain and for how long? And I imagine forever, but what exactly happens? Exactly. I mean, just when you think about all the changes that are going on throughout pregnancy in your brain, you are prepared for this one moment that you give birth and then there is nothing there. There is no birth signal or whatsoever when you lose the baby before, or you actually give birth and then the baby's gone. I mean, the effects in your brain must be tremendous. And this would be so interesting to to understand a little more because the more we understand what's going on in the brain, the more uh, we can actually look into what we could change to make um, all of this better. Exactly, exactly. That's why I think most of us agree in the parental brain world that especially when it comes to peripartum mental illness, I mean, we talk about mental illness, it obviously has to do with the brain, but we don't know so much about the brain when it comes to motherhood. And so the more we know, the better treatments or preventative measures we could put into place to help people during this transition when things don't go as as they should. So I think there's so much more we need to learn and study. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a very important topic, definitely, that needs to be addressed. And there's more and more research now, more people talking about, you Mm. know, miscarriage, pregnancy loss, Mm. and Mm. its effects on anxiety and depression in women. Uh, But in terms of the, really, the neural circuitry, we we know nothing, I think. Yeah, yeah. We we are really, we need to, to study this way more in detail since it's it's such an important issue i mean uh, just imagine how much this affects mothers that experience this um, so we need to to understand it yeah yeah there's a paper out last year about pregnancy loss and miscarriage and they uh, there was a i don't know how many i would say 20 percent or even more of women yeah. who had experienced it had increased depression for yeah. at least eight or nine months yeah. after yeah. the loss yeah. i mean it of course, if you lose a child, an older child, we all can acknowledge and accept that you will feel that loss for the rest of your life. But then when you lose a baby or a, a fetus, an expected baby, it's different. And the way you're allowed to grieve it is different, but the way that it will impact you is also different because exactly. you didn't exactly. have a finishing off of the physiology almost. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's also something. I mean, you know, at one point I started to think about this, um, not also because I study uh, this, this single mothers, but also because of a, a course that I give here. And um, I, I always try to explain to the students a bit what we know from the animal models and then compare it to what we know from humans. And there is there are uh, uh, two or three studies that I, I mentioned there about this uh, the planned C-section and how much a planned C-section might affect the bonding from the mother to to the the baby 
and uh, and there are studies uh, that that show that the bond is not so strong as when you give birth naturally or when you at least um, you know have uh, or that you're in labor uh, and have all the system going on with the oxytocin shots into the periphery that is probably important for this initial bonding at the moment of birth and uh, so so the idea was okay you compare just taking away the baby without going through the process versus you go through the process and take a baby away so even there must be a difference yeah 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 i mean the whole birth mechanism i think that's a whole area of study that isn't that is lacking of course the mechanisms of birth vaginal versus c-section and how it connects with the brain and how it you know all those signals come about to make you more in tune with caring for your your infant but that being said a lot of women give birth with planned c-sections or c-sections and everyone turns out quite well in in the end so there is a resilience factor there yes absolutely yeah but there are studies um and and this is this is on the pro side uh there are the studies that show that even when you adopt a baby which means you you didn't have to go through labor you still start to love the baby as you would love your own baby and you bond as much so this is of course what can also happen when you have a planned c-section so uh, i don't want to say that this will not happen it's just that the the probability that with a planned c-section you might experience problems in bonding is higher than when you don't have a planned c-section so uh, this is what what the studies what the studies uh, showed you could probably add in there epidural versus yeah. non-epidural, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I think there's a lot of factors about birth. And mm-hmm. I read something about uh, having uh, um, induced labor. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or oxytocin and how that might be interfering with yeah. bonding or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes we have no choice, of course, and yeah. how your labor is going to go. Uh, but I think this also speaks to the idea that part of parenting and being involved with uh, raising an infant also takes a bit of motivation, desire, and proper reward, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So sometimes, yeah. So, it, I mean, I always like to think that maybe moms who have been pregnant and given birth and everything's gone really well, maybe they're just quicker to learn yeah. how to care for their kid, yeah. but then everybody else can also figure it out. It might just take yeah. them a little bit longer. Exactly. And I think it has a lot to do with how um, confident um, the women are uh, in, yeah. in, in just coping with the situation. Yeah. I mean, many factors come into play. Yeah. And, and going back to confidence, I think it's also important sticking to intuition and, mm-hmm. and being mm-hmm set boundaries boundaries are a big thing lots of people have expectations of you as a mother and how you should do things but sometimes just saying hey we're actually not going to have anyone over today that can be really helpful there's a lot of factors though hey in parenting i mean it's Mm -hmm. social factors environmental factors your physiological factors that that are quite complex and and play out but Anyway, regardless, super fascinating research. Thank I love you. it. Thank you. So 
what you have planned next in your research program. Maybe you can just share us share with us a little bit about your next plans. Well, um, we studied for the past, well, almost 10 years, how an activation of this CRF system impairs um, the maternal behavior. Uh, so all of this was just, well, um, done by artificially activating the system. So the next step now is to see how the system is internally activated when something happens to the mother. And um, we try to find the perfect uh, model at the moment uh, where we can actually induce the neglect of the offspring by stressing uh, the pregnant females. And um, uh, yeah, we have different ideas how this might work. One is, of course, the model from Teliberum with this uh, reduced uh, nesting material. Teliberum has shown several times that this results in not taking care of the offspring so much. So now I would like to go into the brains of those mothers and see if the CRF system is actually altered compared to, well, let's say normal mothers. Um, so this would be the, the next big step uh, for us in research to actually see all those changes that are well, I would say almost naturally go on when a mother shows neglect of their young. That's interesting. So, and then would the hope be to maybe try to develop a way to prevent the neglect or target the pathway pharmacologically? That, that's of course, is the hope for the, the long way but, um, I mean, that's what I always have to say. Uh, you know, when you talk to the media, this is the, the question that always comes up because this would be the best that would come out of your studies. But what we do is basic research. So all we can do is to try to understand how it works and give this information now to the people that can actually work um, in the human brain. Uh, of course, I would be more than happy to, to, to develop something or to try out something uh, that could also uh, work in, in humans to prevent neglect. But even when I'm optimistic, I would say this is not in our hands. This is in the hands of uh, medical doctors and pharmaceutical companies, probably. Yeah, definitely. It's a complicated world moving in that direction as well. As we see uh, at the moment, yes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So I guess another question I have for you, maybe this is a bit broader, is what are some questions you'd like to see answered with regards to maternal brain and behavior? Oh, that's a very good question. I mean, there, there are so many things that are, that are interesting. Uh, there's, so the, the biggest thing that really puzzles me and it probably will be unsolved for many decades is how all the information that all the, the colleagues in the field um, just get together over the years in all their papers, how all of this might play together to actually form the maternal brain. You know, there is the one guy who studies dopamine, there's the other guy who studies serotonin, there's the other 
person who studies oxytocin and so on and so on. And they do this in that particular brain area and in the other particular brain area. But the brain is one big organ that works together. And I always like to compare the brain, the neuropeptides, the neurotransmitters, all of this with a big orchestra. So you have a huge orchestra that plays together a symphony. And it all sounds very well as long as everything works perfectly fine together. But it, depending on whether the at the moment it's like a very loud part or a very, well, um, soft part, um, depending on this, one violin, for example, that plays against the tune, you can hear it or you can't hear it. And this is what I compare with the behavior, the outcome, if you see a difference in the behavior or not. But this is all based on the whole orchestra. So what I would like to, to see is that we try to bring all the different findings in the systems, in the, in the brain areas, a bit more together to see more how the interaction goes on between the structures, how they affect each other, or how some effects are just not um, appearing in the behavioral outcome that we measure in the end. Because sometimes it might matter and sometimes it might not. And this is really, for, for the long run, what I would like to see that happens. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think we all have our brain area or our neurochemical or what have you, or behavior even, and it would be lovely to, in fact, have all those pieces of the puzzle put together yeah. to figure out what we really know and mm. what that means and then what we still need to know when it comes mm -hmm. to maternal brain function, yeah. both in pregnancy, I th you know, oh, we yeah. haven't done enough research in pregnancy, but yeah. also postpartum. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to forget about pregnancy. I mean, this is, this is where everything starts for us throughout pregnancy. Everything develops to the point where, where I start to study the brain. But pregnancy is such an important time. Um, so yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So one final question I would ask is really, what's the take home message from your research for moms out there? Well, the take home message, it's not easy, but um, I would say that stress can be really harmful to mothers, especially when there is no social buffering uh, in, in the situation where it happens. So just take care of the mothers, be patient. I mean, that's all that I can say. Yeah, yeah. And remember, for those of you who have friends who are single parents, maybe check in with them and make sure that they do have extra support or know that you're available to support them. Because a little bit of support can go a long way. Oh, yeah. And we know how important social support is, and especially in such sensible periods as uh, being a single mother. Yeah, definitely. Especially with little ones. Thank you so much, Oliver. This has been great. I've learned a lot. It was a really great discussion. I'm excited for more research in this area coming out of your lab because it's a really important topic. 
So yes. thank you for joining me today. Thanks for, for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Jody. Questions, comments, suggestions, get in touch at Mommy Brain Revisited on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. You can also contact me on my website at jodipaluski.com. That's J-O-D-I-P-A-W-L-U-S-K-I.com. Looking forward to hearing from you.